In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Betches Media presents. If you feel depressed and if you feel anxious and you feel confused, you know what? Welcome to the club. Gaspacho police. Oh my God. What a stupid son of a bitch. He believes that it's a woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. The Betches Sup Podcast. Sayonara, sucker. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. And this is the Betches Sup Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. And today, we are thrilled to be here with Monique Melton. She's an educator, a published author, international speaker, and host of the Shine Brighter Together podcast. She connects people from all over the world to teach on topics related to anti-racism, wellness, and relationships. Just just casual, easy topics to address. No problem. <laughs> exactly. The easy things. Exactly. Thank you so much for being with us today. How, how are you doing so far? How's, how's, your, how's your summer going? Thank you so much for having me. The summer is summering, okay? Uh-huh. It's hot. I already have tan lines. It is hot. It's so I hot. I know, it's crazy. I asked Siri the other day, what's the temperature? I was like, girl, you playing. Like, <laughs> it was just too much. Where, do you, where are you based? Break. I'm in Spain. I'm in Spain. Oh. So it's already really hot. Like, I say color. It is, whew. Wow. One of our... Uh, That's awesome. One of our colleagues actually just got married in Spain. So it is, you know, all just all the good energy over there. But um, apparently, I mean, it's only June and we are apparently getting really high record temperatures already. And apparently, I think like like a, a third really of the country is under heat advisory warning already in a supposedly one of the more mild months of the year. So glad that's the trajectory we're on right now. We're always under some sort of warning in this country, it seems. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. It's a lot going on. But this, people have been telling me this is my first summer here. People have been saying that this is particularly warm for June. So I don't Well, know. it also horrifies me, horrifies me when people in Europe say it doesn't get hot enough here to need air conditioning. Please tell me you have air conditioning. Listen, we would not be here right now if I don't have exactly. But I'll be passed out on the floor. Okay, so, no, over seventy degrees. No. I need to be in a refrigerator at all. But time. a lot of places don't. You go like we we went to brunch today for my son's birthday, and as the temperature got warmer outside, you could notice inside the place, and they have the doors open and stuff. Some places <sighs> they, they don't. They, I guess, they're just used to it. I could never, could never be me. There's no like wasted AC there either. It's like there's no one, no stores are keeping their doors open to try to invite you in like they are in America, just like blasting the AC, spending the energy. Like yeah. you're lucky if if the yeah. place has a cross breeze. Like and and here's the thing, like <laughs> Europe's climate was not supposed to require the intense air conditioning that we literally yeah. need to have effects from know, the to heat. stay well, to stay well. Global warming. Global Amen. Amen. Warming. Well, with that, with that indulgence aside, I want to sort of start really broadly. And uh, could you kind of tell our audience and Sammy and I a bit about your background and what you do? Sure. 
So I was born on a warm. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it actually was probably we got a nice time. Day. It was probably a nice day. Hard <laughs> day, no air conditioning. Yeah. But no. Um, so I am Monique. And I always tell folks, first and foremost, always and forever, from the bottom to the top, to the inside out, I am a whole human being. And I think that's so important to emphasize, especially as a Black woman, because often the orientation to Black bodies is to be that of service providers or resources or tools or instruments for white folks. And so I really have to say that to remind whoever needs to be reminded that I'm a whole human. I'm a whole human being. And it's, it shouldn't be a reminder, but it is. It is what it is. So the work that I do in the world is to pursue Black liberation. And that looks like a number of things. For one, I'm the founder of the Shine Bright School. So we have a number of learning experiences, resources, and tools for folks who are committing to Black liberation. We teach them the foundational pieces and then build upon that with the expansive topics that we explore. And I also am the host of a podcast, um, Shine Brighter Together podcast. I do speaking. I'm an author. And now, um, especially after now, it's been about two years since what I like to call the pseudo white awakening of 2020 and going through all of the brutality of that. I am giving myself permission and the support and the compassion to step into some other things while still having the school be what it is and to grow and evolve. But as far as Monique Melton, I'm also giving myself permission to build and grow as a lifestyle and travel content creator, especially here in Europe. Like you can get on a flight for like 60 euros. That's like less than a tank of gas in the United States. That's real. And, you know, go to Italy and have some good pasta, you know? So (laughs) I am, I'm really excited about that. I have so many different ideas that I want to explore. Um, I'm married to my high school sweetheart. We've been together for 20 years. We have two beautiful black children together. Today is my son's birthday. And this is the first birthday in the past three years now where I actually feel just full happiness and joy. And that felt really good reflecting on that because prior to that, living in the United States, I remember one day I had a hard time even just getting out of the bed. I was so sad and scared and just feeling like I was running out of time, you know? And so he's a dark skinned, handsome, tall black boy. He is still very much a boy. He is not a man, but with the adultification of black children and all that happens and the violence, it's terrifying raising black children in the United States. And so this is the first time that we're living in Spain where my nervous system is is starting to calm down some because of that hypervigilance that you have to employ as a parent in America. It's, it's, you don't realize how much it affects you until you're not in that environment in the way. So that's a little bit about me. It's a little bit about me. I mean, so that's actually, it's interesting because the, I think part of the reason why I, you know, came across your profile and was like attracted to it was because you were doing, you were, I saw that you were traveling and you had so much, just a lot of dynamic content that, and then I saw that you were an educator about black liberation and all of that, I think just was, I mean, honestly, like the algorithm, 
had not frequently fed me profiles like yours where there was so much of just sort of like a wholeness and a mix within, you know, what you, what you put out there. And I think that that is a really important vision, um, for the way that people see what black liberation should look like. So can you sort of paint a picture for what a fully realized world of black liberation would look like? That's a great, that's a really great question. And that's actually something that I talk about a lot. And I um, talk about this too in our black liberation course, but to really, to make it really simple is that black liberation would mean that, and, and the authors of the Combihai River Collective, the Black Feminists, Womanists, wrote this statement, this collective statement um, a couple decades ago that said, once Black women are free, all of us will be free because every system of oppression will have been eliminated because Black people live at, at the intersection of every system of oppression. And so when I think of Black liberation, I think of Black folks being able to reclaim our full humanity, being able to live and exist and function in the world and to move and operate without fear of harm. That's like a baseline, right? Like when we talk about, for example, Black Lives Matter, that's a baseline, right? And so that allows for us to build and expand upon that. It looks like Black folks resting. You know, I love the work of the NAP ministry for for what they constantly remind us of in the fact that our ancestors who were enslaved were robbed of everything, everything that made them whole, yet they still reclaimed and fought for their humanity day in and day out. And rest is one of them, one of the things. And so Black liberation looks like being able to rest, being able to have everything you need to nourish your body and to take care of yourself and your family being connected in community, having relationships that are healthy. It looks like being able to do things because you enjoy it versus having to do it to make an income. Because again, capitalism is a part of the toxic constructs that causes a lot of oppression for folks too. And so a lot of times people have to work just to be able to afford healthcare, for example, you know, and stay in situations that are violent. Black liberation looks like Black folks having full access to every single possible thing we could desire or need in order to thrive. And so we're full of joy. We're, we're, we're experiencing healing, for example, like we have access to food. You have black communities and not just black communities, but definitely black communities that are impacted by redlining and therefore are in, intentionally under-resourced and exploited and, and folks don't even have access to a grocery store. That's why what happened in Buffalo, New York, was such a huge issue on so many levels, aside from the people being murdered, which was devastating. Like, that's the main thing. And the fact that it shut down the grocery store, which was one of the primary places where people could go and find just regular produce and such to be able to take care of their families wow. and create, you know, meals. And so... It means that Black folks, our, our bodies can actually calm down and not have to deal with so much of the health outcomes that are related to environmental and structural racism. It allows us to also 
I can go on and on, but I'll say this last thing, like Black liberation also allows, as it is lived out, Black liberation is a reclamation of our imagination. That's like bars. Like I should put some yeah, music to yeah. that, you know? <laughs> um, but if you think, if you think about it, like our imaginations have been warped by the constructs that we live within. And so even just being able to imagine better is possible, imagine and just daydream and think of amazing things and, you know, get lost in, in some type of cool sci-fi or just some beautiful colors or meditation, like being able to just play, you know, mm-hmm. to, to frolic in the fields. Like it sounds like, a pie in the sky could this ever be but absolutely because we know for a fact that there are some people who have access to this reality right because there are systems in place that provide that type of access to whatever they need yes yeah and there is no shortage of anything we do not live in a in an environment where things need to be the way that things are and so I believe that Black liberation lived out is Black folks not having to talk about being Black and the plight that that comes with just existing in a world that is so anti-Black. Like, we don't have to talk about racism anymore. We don't. We can talk about yeah. our experience, our culture, and our Blackness, but it's not from a place of all of the trauma and all the pain and all the suffering that we endured as a people and that we are continuing to endure. It is also a healing of the ancestral trauma that has been passed down through our DNA. And I will also say this, Black liberation means white folks also will be healed from that internalized white superiority that comes in and wrecks havoc on your own humanity, which allows for you to remain complicit and complacent and and silent amongst so much pain and suffering. Like that dehumanization, that level of dehumanization is so vast. And so in order to to get to a place where you are aware of what's happening and you're actively working to repair and to disrupt the legacy of violence, that's going to require a reclamation of your own humanity, a reclamation of your own. And so it's it's healing, it's connection. It's it's so many things. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? 
I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. When I was talking with your team, they mentioned that when you talk about the role of white people or non-black people, you prefer not to use the term allies. And I was really curious uh, why that is and what's behind that. <laughs> it's like when you, when you see a child getting ready to do something that they're not su- supposed to do, it's like, a, you know, uh-huh. like, no, yeah. <laughs> um, no, 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 no. So for, for me, obviously everyone has their own opinion and their own perspective yeah. and there are plenty of black people who appreciate the term. And then there are also people from other marginalized groups that appreciate the term as well. So I'm speaking for myself as always. I have a lot of reasons why I don't like the term. One, I'll just say a couple. One is that often the term ally as it relates to white people deeming themselves allies to black folks is a self-identified term, a self-qualifying term. White folks get to decide what it is that you're going to say or do that now qualifies you to call yourself such a thing, right? And so it often requires very little. And it is something that also can be easily withdrawn. So long as I am performing the way you want me to perform, I'm showing up in the world the way you think I should show up, sure, you have my allyship. But the moment I step outside of the lines that you've drawn for me, it's time for me to take that. You've gone too far. And so it's something that can easily be um, withdrawn. And also what ends up happening is that it becomes an identity. So it's, it's a noun versus a verb, an action, what I'm actually doing, or it's a noun or adjective, right? right. And so instead of people really, so some people would say, well, what should you call yourself? Well, you don't need to call yourself anything. How about you be a decent human being? Not racist. Do the work, you know, just do the work. Like be, I don't need to call myself anything to identify myself with some type of group that's really not doing anything in the first place, you know? So just do the work. You don't need a name. Yeah, totally. Some words I feel like are not, meant by their definition to be like self-identifiers like you can't like you probably shouldn't call yourself like humble like if you're calling yourself humble you're (laughs) you're sort of you know 
that, and I think allies sort of, you know, it's like, you can say you try to be, you know, you try to do things that will, will help the black community or, or marginalized communities in general, but you can't, it's, it's for, it's a word that I think someone else can bestow on you or say, or, or I guess that's my, my question. Do you think, I, I actually, I question that. Do you think that you or anyone from a community that a white person is trying to ally to in some way, is that something that can be bestowed or like, can someone else name you that or? Yeah, I think, I think that again, speaking for myself, I would never call a white person an ally ever. Mm-hmm. I would never do that. Maybe in my past times, of delusion, but, um, there are people who are like, I get to call you that. And, and here's a word of caution for the white people who are like, Oh my gosh, my friend calls me an ally and she's black. You don't need to go to your friend and be like, you should stop calling me that. Because, like if someone <laughs> no. and they're in the marginalized group, like, you know, whatever the group is there and they say, Hey, I feel like you're an ally to me. You don't need to give them a lecture on why they shouldn't say that. Like, okay, you know, but you still don't need to call yourself that. It's not necessary. I run from allies. Yeah, the way you <laughs> described it is that it's just, um, yeah, it's a cop out to refer to yourself as a noun, whereas you could say things that you are doing. Like, ally has just become a stand-in in a lot of ways, regardless yeah. of its original intent for just not racist. Like I'm an ally as in, I don't call the police on black kids like that. No, that's not allyship. That's just like, you wouldn't call like a, a non-white person who also practices basic decency, you know, you know, an ally. So yeah. it feels like exactly. that's where the bar could be. That's, that's a really important like way to think about it. It's basic. And it really is, turns into, it, it is a very slippery slope to performative, allyship where that really is all about the person who's deeming themselves an ally and nothing to do with the people who they are saying they are in allyship with. And so that is a very slippery slope in and of itself that quickly leads to white apathy. So I would just, I run anytime somebody says, I'm going to tell you the people who I run from. I run from people who call themselves allies. I run from people who have hashtag black lives matter in their profile uh, it's probably some other people, but I'm not going to say, I'm just, those are some, those are red flags. Yeah. There was something that, um, you said earlier that I thought was really interesting that tied into something else you said earlier, which is when you were talking about your, your son and how the adultification of black boys or, and black women too is, is really harmful. And then later, as you were talking about the Nat ministry and the concept of play and, and rest and, I can't help but think that it's almost like th- that is sort of maybe the only way to make up for like the childhoods that were robbed from the black community or that are robbed from the black community so much earlier than they should be. So, and I think it's something that people maybe who don't, uh, or I guess maybe sometimes when people are first coming into this conversation, they think black people want to be sort of like want to flip the system and it's not really about that. It's about creating an equal playing field. So can you, I guess, kind of talk about how you like break down that misconception for people? I don't do that. I'm going to tell you, here's the thing. Anybody who thinks that black people want to trade places with white people 
don't understand what black liberation truly is. It is not, I tell my students all the time, you do not dehumanize yourself in the process of trying to reclaim your humanity. There is never an idea whatsoever in any of myself, my, my, the different folks who've come before me and laid this foundation of black liberation that I get to build upon that have ever argued or been in support of or in desire of having and doing to white people what they have done to us. And I think when people think like that, that really speaks to their own limited imagination. And it also speaks to their understanding of what white folks have done and continue to do. And that's one of the reasons why I believe that so many white folks are resistant to change and to black liberation. Um, if you read the book, it's an incredible book. It's by Carol Anderson. It's called White Rage. And she talks about the pattern of violence and the anxiety that white folks have in, re in response to any type of substantial black liberation movement and progress. And that anxiety comes from this deep fear that black folks, once we're in power, once we have access, equitable access to all the things that we need in order to thrive, that we're going to turn around and due to white folks, what white folks have done to us and continue to do to us. And to believe that really speaks to a gross misunderstanding of the black community, a gross misunderstanding of black liberation. I have zero desire whatsoever to inflict harm and suffering on someone, period. I want to be liberated. I want to live freely. I want you to have yours and I want me to have mine. Black liberation literally means everyone has what they need, not just black people. And when people try to twist it like that, it's such a gross misunderstanding and it really speaks to their limitation of their own imagination. Can't we imagine a world where everyone can thrive without it being at the expense of someone else? Can we not imagine a world like that? I absolutely believe we can. So to wrap it up, I know you do some, uh, you're an anti-racism educator and I assume you work with, with businesses and companies in that. Do you, is that correct? Yes. Yes. So I was curious about how, you know, we are happy to talk about politics on this podcast, but people like to keep politics out of the workplace or what they, they, they think politics should be kept out of the workplace. But it seems to me that a lot of elements involved in anti-racism seem almost inextricably linked to issues caused by the political system. And I'm sure a lot of us just in conversations with friends and family, trying to get them to understand certain issues, encounter people who say they just don't want to talk politics. And I'm sure that also comes up in the workplace. So I'm wondering how you kind of balance that, what people see as attention in, in your work and how you kind of make that approach to people who have that feeling. And that's a great question. These are great questions. So oh, <laughs> no, this is good. So here's the thing. Everything's political. Everything's political. So when people say, I don't like talking about politics, you don't like talking. Right? Because really what that really speaks to is someone who lives in an identity where their, where their access is not, their access to things is not limited by politics. Right? Mm -hmm. And so every marginalized group of people have had to fight 
and have political gains in order to have access to what many who are cis, hetero, white, male, able body have never even had to think about having to fight for. Okay. And so when you have that identity and then you, you know, you then you'll have folks who are, you know, stratified a little bit further, further and further from that. Um, when you have that, you don't need to think about, is it legal for me to get married? For example, you don't even think about it. That's never been a question. That's never been a question, right? Black and white folks couldn't get married. Black folks couldn't legally get married. Gay folks couldn't get married. So many people have been marginalized and their identities and their realities have been politicized to the extent that they had to fight to have access to what they, it's, it's just a baseline thing. And so there's really no separating of, of politics when we're talking about any of this work. Racism at the core is, and, and Ijama Oluo says this in her book, so you want to talk about race, she gives a very simple but very powerful definition of racism. It basically says that it's racist beliefs, beliefs, racist beliefs that are reinforced by systems of power, which includes, okay, this is my addition to this part, but it's the same thing. It includes the political system. There's no separation. Well, it's sort of like, I think a good rule of thumb for people who are first becoming acquainted with like the concept of these power structures is that if you don't have to think about the power structure regularly, if it's not con sort of constantly, you're not rubbing up against it at all times, that means that you are in the power position in whatever dynamic you're in. Mm -hmm. And I think that just even like helping people realize that that space that they have, that is the privilege. Like, and I guess it's sort of, it, you know, it might be hard for people to see what they uh, aren't going through, but it's impossible. These things are just inextricably tied together and you can't separate them. Right. Yeah. I mean, people have roads because some politician values that they should have roads. Like, And we're getting more roads because of the infrastructure bill. <laughs> yes, finally. Um, well, actually, I did want to, if you have a couple more minutes, I had a very specific question. I mean, we're coming up on Juneteenth and I'm sure, as you mentioned, um, since 2020, more institutions seem to understand the need to formally recognize this. And this has taken some really positive forms I, and some very interesting forms. One noteworthy example recently I wanted to get your take on was Walmart, which came under fire for releasing a Juneteenth-themed ice cream flavor, which it quickly recalled after backlash. I'm curious, you know, what, what do you make of this? What does this tell you about what people still fail to understand about... I don't want to use the word allyship, but fail to understand about actually honoring this, this holiday in a way that benefits, that serves black liberation. Yeah. I mean, I can give you a whole lecture, <laughs> but we're not going to do that. So I think that is important. Come to back for that. Yeah, we'll come back. I think it's important to recognize what Juneteenth is actually about. What is actually yeah. acknowledging, right? The abolishing of legalized chattel slavery. Right. And although the Emancipation Proclamation was signed about two years prior to that, it was the folks in Galveston, Texas, who were informed last intentionally that they were, in fact, actually free. OK. And so when we think about 
the implications of that. And when we really think about how chattel slavery, okay, unpaid labor of Black folks that went on for over 200 years in the United States as a legal institution built this country's wealth and capitalist infrastructure. Literally, folks fought and were terrified that if you were to take Black people from this construct and say, you know what, you have to pay folks, you cannot exploit them, abuse them, enslave them. Folks were terrified that the economy would collapse. Folks were terrified. And so the thing to understand is that the orientation, that legacy of exploiting Black bodies, Black folks for economic gain in the United States has not ended. And so, of course, we will see companies and organizations come in to capitalize on a holiday that is about celebrating the freedom of Black people. So, no, you can't be free. In fact, I'm going to exploit your holiday and profit from it and make money in the the name of Juneteenth. If that is not American way, I don't know what else is. You know, Mm -hmm. that is the... The way that's, and so there was a lot of backlash and it got removed. I think it got removed from the shelves. Um, but there are a lot of people that had to sign off on that and approve that to get that in the store. That's not a just overnight decision. So right. this speaks to folks' Man. unwillingness to acknowledge the wholeness and the humanity of Black people and the unwillingness to pay us for our labor and to respect our legacy and to work to repair the damage that's been done. And so instead of folks trying to profit during this time, you need to be paying reparations now and always. Really what folks need to be figuring out is how do I repay Black people financially? Because there's never really an amount that can be ever repaid to account for the devastation of slavery. But there are some checks that need to get written to pay for all this unearned, this unpaid labor. Start with canceling student loans. That seems like an obvious one. Like That's a start. That's a very small start, Joe. <laughs> that would be an excellent Juneteenth announcement for, for President Biden. Cancel student loans. But then there are plenty of black people who don't have student loans. There are plenty True. of black people who don't have student loans. So it's like, also, y'all need to write us a check. Run me my money. Is what I need to happen. Yeah. Monique, thank you so much. This has been an incredible conversation. We'd love to have you back if we can get you on Spain time. So will you just let everyone know where they can follow you, where they can listen to you, take your course, anything? Great. Yeah, thank you so much. So I'm not sure when this is going to go live, but we are in honor of Juneteenth doing a Black Liberation Challenge. You can do the challenge anytime, but it's called the Pursue Black Liberation Challenge. You can find out about it by either taking the Shine class, Black Liberation, or the Black Liberation course. I absolutely, hands down, recommend everyone listening to this right now. Hit pause and go enroll in that course. Folks can find me on Mo Motivate. That's on Instagram. You can find me there. I'm getting on TikTok a little bit. So it's, it's <laughs> I bet you'd be really good at it. Yeah. 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 I'm just trying to figure it out. But I'm on there too. Mo.motivate. You can find me there. MoniqueMilton.com. The Shine Bright School. Okay. Yeah, you definitely have time. Check that out. Thank you so much. Until the end of Democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. And this is the Betches Up Podcast. Bye-bye. 
The Betches Sup Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales-Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to suppod at Betches.com. Betches.